Okay, welcome to the Queen Anne's County Commissioner's meeting. This is a public meeting that is being aired live on our local cable television station, QAC-TV7. These media broadcasts provide county citizens an opportunity to watch and review our scheduled public meetings. In addition to the live audience this evening, we are providing remote options for citizens to watch and participate in county commissioner meetings. Citizens may watch our meeting live on our Queen Anne's County website at qac.org live or on our television channel, BreezeLine Channel 7 or High Definition Channel 507. Citizens may also participate by joining the live Zoom meeting by going to qac.org slash public comment. And citizens may also email comments to public comment at qac.org. Comments received will be read during the press and public comment period on this evening's agenda. We acknowledge everyone's participation and by attending, you acknowledge that this session is both recorded and aired Press and public comment will be taken and is limited to three minutes per person. If you care to speak, please sign the sheet on the information table in our lobby. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing for the commissioner's review. We will now stand and be led in the Pledge of Allegiance by Commission President Chris Corcorino. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, Liberty and justice for all. please remain standing? Uh, on this day in 1975, Trooper Wallace Mowbray was uh, responding to a suspicious vehicle at Baker Liquor Store where he was uh, shot and killed. Let's please have a moment of silence for him. Thank you. All right, commissioners, that brings us to the uh, approval of today's agenda. So our agenda for today's meeting, August 9th, along with the regular and closed session minutes from the July 26th meeting and the sanitary commission minutes from the July 26th meeting have been circulated for review. Are there any additions or corrections? Yeah, uh, Mendy intended to add just one action item because I believe the other desk item is a just a update on what we already have on the agenda. Correct. So That's correct. Adding one item. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Motion to approve the agenda and minutes, or agenda as amended and the minutes as presented. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? All favor. All right. Thank you, commissioners. So we just held a closed session under the general provisions article, section 3, 305B1, to discuss boards and commissions and personnel. And I believe we have some appointments to make for the Arts and, excuse me, the slate of historic Stevensville A&E okay. Advisory Board nominees. Can I read it? Okay. Sure. <laughs> I move to approve the appointment of 10 new members to the historic Stevensville Arts and Entertainment District Advisory Committee as recommended by the nominee subcommittee, subcommittee advisory committee for staggered terms as, in, as indicated in this memo. So Paul Plasek will be a two-year member. Nikki... Oh boy. Naboshki, thank you. Three years. Becky Jones, two years. Maureen Wheatley, three years. Nancy Cook, two years. Jack Broderick, three years. Amelia Foxwell, two years. Rose Spick, three years. Jessica Dolbeck, two years. And Mark Robertson, three years. Second. All right. Got a motion to second. Any discussion on that? All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? All right. 5 0 motion carries. All right. Thank you, commissioners. 
That brings us to our first uh, press and pop public comment period. And the only person that signed up was actually for the hearing. For the hearing, okay. okay. So, so no, no press and public comment. People online, no? Uh, just uh, same person's here for the hearing 2203. All right, so we'll, no press public comment. All right, very good. Okay, we can move on to presentations, and I think our first presenter is Mr. Scott Haas, the director of the Department of Emergency Services, for his emergency services update. I think he's maybe brought a few guests with him tonight. I, I did bring a few guests. Okay. Mr. Can we got a special seat right here for you. Right. So everybody sitting behind me has been told that this is a high level, very high level update for the commissioners. And the commissioners have a lot of complicated questions to ask us. So you're the first part of the update. Okay. If I can get the remote to work. <laughs> That's the high level part. <laughs> Can you guys flip it? Ah. So Candy worked on a very special project for DES. And how long have you been doing our ambulance building? About 11 years. About 11 years. Can you detail a little bit? Like how, how much time do you spend per shift? So roughly per shift I spend about, oh sorry. So roughly per shift, I spend about anywhere from six to 12 hours, depending on what I have to do, whether I'm invoicing other volunteer stations, whether I am dealing with lawyer requests, um, doing QA on our actual billing to make sure that all of our reports are accurate and ready to be billed and there's no issues. And then I submit them all. I work very closely with the billing company every time I work to make sure that there are no issues and everything runs smoothly so that we are not lagging in our time that our bills are submitted. So, and Candy picked up on this job, basically, and I know Commissioner Moran remembers this, but we had that economic downturn, mm -hmm. and we were told to cut 25% of our, our budget of our department. Uh, Candy kind of immediately stepped up and said, what can I do to help? And that's what she could do to help, and she has been doing it ever since. And has never asked for anything doing this extra chore. So this last year, uh, the state uh, came out with a program, which is the Emergency Services Transporter Supplemental Program. So kind of in a nutshell, what this is, is when we do a Medicare transport, we get about $100 per transport. Guaranteed $100 a transport. Which our normal transport is anywhere from $800 to $1,500. Uh, so, we get very small payment with Medicare, and our two biggest payers are Medicare and Medicaid. Yes. So this program basically uh, came out statewide. 15 jurisdictions applied for it, I yes. believe. We were one of the jurisdictions that did apply for it. Uh, we, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you. We were invited to, they asked us to do it because we are considered the GEMS op. The what? Jurisdiction EMS Operation Authority. Jumps up. Kind of reads like the Tom Clancy novel. Which is up there. That's why you yeah, keep That's why Wheatley's here. That's why answer the questions. So to, to qualify for the program, we had to be the operational program for the county, which we are the operational program. We have to provide ground transport to Medicare recipients, which we do on a daily basis. Uh, and we have to be enrolled as a Medicare provider, which we are. 
So uh, we, Scott and me uh, saw this and saw the application. We're like, we're never going to get this done on time. So we turned to Candy. <laughs> and uh, Candy is very good at bossing the bosses. And she got this project done. And for the first year, can you guys forward it one? This thing is not working. For the first year, she brought in a little more than half a million dollars extra revenue that we were not going to receive if we didn't apply, which I think is Bravo. <laughs> and we're expected to receive about 800000 this next year, mm -hmm. which she just started the project for this upcoming year about two weeks ago. Yes. Uh, and she forcefully made me sign some documentation so we could <laughs> enter the program. Uh, but because of this, uh, Candy, Scott and myself thought it would be more than appropriate to give you the director's award for the department, which is the highest award the department gives out for all your hard service. Outstanding. The sheriff is very impressed by that, so he is uh, going to give you something. Get a challenge point or the And here's the They're worth a lot. Don't put them on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the county one will get you out of a ticket if Gary gives you a ticket. Thank you so much. I said no, Gary thank gives you for everything you do for the department. We appreciate everything you do. Thank you. We're just bad at telling you that on a daily basis. <laughs> it's okay. So if there's any medical billing uh, companies give you a phone call tomorrow, you're not interested. <laughs> You never know. <laughs> <laughs> I Thank just made so this much. public. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. On behalf of the taxpayers, thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So this is super, super overdue. We've given you updates on this uh, more than once, and I'd like to ask Brian. So this is an aerial shot of our headquarters. So the, the dark top building is the Department of Emergency Services. The green top of the building is uh, a two bay garage that sits outside of our department, which used to house transport units, which is currently uh, where Tony is. Tony's right there. That's Tony's radio shop now. That's where we do all of our radio repairs. So what we ended up having to do uh, we had a huge renovation happen to our department. We had a new HVAC system put in. We had a new roof put on the building, and we basically redesigned the 911 center. But part of that redesign, if you can hit the next image, we had to move all the electronics outside of the 911 center and put them out to the garage. And this is only one rack of 12 racks that are in our server room that had to be relocated from our primary center and be able to communicate out to that garage. And the only thing that was run out to that garage before we started this project was electric. None of the communication systems were run out there. We had to move six consoles from our primary center out to the temporary center. And we had a couple choices. We could contract people to come in and do it or our staff could do it. 
our staff stood up and took the assignment and did it. And I, we estimate, because I asked Jim to help me estimate, and we estimate anywhere from thirty dollars to $50,000 to move each console if we contracted it out. But our staff saved that times six by moving it themselves. So because they did that, I would like Tony to come up here. Rob, Christine, Patrick, who could not attend tonight, and Susan. So you guys have to ask them a lot of high-level questions because I told them that's what they were here for. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, but the county, the department, appreciate everything you did. And I don't know if anybody realizes the backbreaking job it was to move each one of those units from the primary dispatch center to the temporary center and move everything back to the primary center. Plus, we never lost phone system once and we never lost radio communications once in both moves, which I find incredible because I couldn't figure out where the first wire goes in that mess. And these guys kept everything organized and we didn't lose connectivity on anything at any given point. So excellent job. Thank you. For the excellent job, we're giving you each unit citation for what you did. So this is your unit citation. I think the sheriff has got pointed at this belt. Hey, you know. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Might as well just stand out. You got some more stuff. This one is the major board review. Just getting major. So everybody has a view. That is the final product. That is our newly renovated 911 center. Uh, if anybody's ever interested in a tour of it, we're open for tours. Uh, all you have to do is call in advance, and we'll be more than happy to walk anybody through it. Uh, 911. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dial 911. <laughs> uh, but Rob and crew uh, shared no expense. Like everything is color coded. Uh, you cannot find a wire anywhere in the place. Everything's well hidden. And it, it, in my opinion, is probably one of the nicest 911 centers across the state of Maryland for the job that you did. But good job. <laughs> the, the part that I uh, left out is how demanding I am. And, and Rob said, that's what you asked for and that's what you got. And that's exactly what I asked for and that's exactly what you guys delivered. So, fantastic. So, uh, the last part of our update, if we can hit the next image, I'd like the sheriff to come up and join me. And you can stay. Okay. Watch you up here with me. And so, <clears throat> the next project, uh, because Jim sitting in the audience, uh, has to be first in everything across the state of Maryland. <laughs> and and, and uh, at times drives me crazy because we have to be first in everything. Uh, but we had an ailing 
computer-aided dispatch system, which was also part of our records management system uh, that the sheriff's office uses. And it's kind of the backbone of their system, and the computer-aided dispatch is the backbone of our system. So the picture up there is actually, and he's probably gonna kill me for putting that picture up there, but that's actually one of the sheriff's employees, which is Sergeant Russell. And Sergeant Russell started in dispatch with us, and that picture was probably taken in 1998. And if you look in the very corner above his head. Well, today he still doesn't have any hair. Yeah, he's still the same. He's a little chunkier now, uh, <laughs> but, but still the same. That was the first computer, and that was that console is before computer-aided dispatch, and that console resided in what is currently the, the basement of Public Works, and that's where 911 Center used to reside. So there was nothing computer about the system whatsoever. It was all cards. Uh, the computer that they had kind of sat off in the corner. Nobody had, knew how to use it. It had this weird operating system they called DOS on it. <laughs> uh, nobody knew what to do with it. Uh, I think we had one employee in the department that figured out how to use the thing. Uh, but in the year 2000, we moved into our current center and uh, went from that to a fully computerized system overnight, uh, which was a, a big change for us. And that system lasted us 22 years and, and has done us well. Uh, Technology has changed, and unfortunately, the company that we had didn't keep up with the technology change, and we really needed to change. And, and thankfully, you saw that need and uh, funded this project. What's hidden in all these updates that, that we've been giving you is the people that worked behind the scenes on this project. And this project started about two years ago, and everybody that I'm going to call up here uh, started, I think, once a month on a conference call that turned into once a week, that turned into twice a week, that turned into almost every day before we went live with the system. And the group that is coming up has basically been with this from the start and, and really oversaw this project. Uh, everybody in our department, I think on the sheriff's side, my side, and on the IT side, has touched this project, but this core group that I'm bringing up went the whole 24 months. And I would say they still have about 24 months to go to get the system working actually the way we want it to work, because there's still a lot of work that needs done with it. But I would like to call up Jim Alfrey, which started to spearhead the system. Scott Weekly. He was kind of overseeing the EMS stuff. Uh, Brian Will. Brian has been the, the main person that's been the brains of the system on our side and knows our CAD system inside and out. Michelle Miller, who is unable to attend tonight. Zach Yerke. So if you notice a computer inside of all of our vehicles, Zach is behind the program that runs on those computers, and he's still suffering a, a conference call a week over getting that straight and, and that functional for the volunteer system, for the sheriff's office, and for us. Uh, Phil English, First Sergeant English, you can come up. <clears throat> Phil, you have been the best partner I could ask for. <laughs> you, you have been on every single call. You have 
I don't know if the sheriff really realizes how much time you've invested in the system, but I definitely realize how much time you, I know he realizes, but, but your whole department owes you a huge thank you because it would not have gotten off the ground on your side without your labor that you put into it. Um, and I know you had a lot of personal things happen during this, but you never dropped the ball on this once. And, and I know our team appreciates everything that you did and want you to know that we do. Keep that, keep that thought. <laughs> You're not allowed to lose that thought. Stephanie. Stephanie, is she out there? Let me scout. Oh, no. But Stephanie, she wants to say a few words about this, yeah, too. I'm, I'm going to pass on that. Thank you. <laughs> so on Stephanie's side, uh, I, think, I think the brains of the Sheriff's Department stuff has gone through your hands through this. And, and a lot of the inputted data that had to be manually put in was done by you. Uh, and I think you were the sole person doing it, and you were the sole person on that side on every single conference call. So again, same thanks goes to you for all of the efforts that you put in on this project. Tony, a repeat performance, has been, been part of this from start to finish. Uh, Rob. Rob is kind of the IT brains that put our whole system together. So Rob was the brains that kind of did the prior project, and he was kind of the brains that made all the servers and computers work along with his team. But he kind of oversaw that whole thing along with Jim. So Rob, great job. Christine. So to say she's an applications expert in our department is an understatement. Uh, I think on a daily basis, we're still learning stuff and you're still putting stuff together for us. And I can't tell you how much we appreciate everything that you've done on the system. And that goes as much or more for Patrick, who cannot be here tonight, and Susan, the server communicate expert behind the scenes person that made everything talk to one another. Uh, thank you for all your efforts and continued efforts for this. So this is the team that put this together. And if you can flip to the next slide, so that's the old system. And that's what the new one looks like. So it's a little bit of a change. Good share. Watch this. Watch what happens when it gets to Wheatley.
getting there. <laughs> That'll be our next update. <laughs> so in closing, uh, on this high level update that we did, uh, Todd, I want to thank you for uh, letting us do something a little bit different for an update. Uh, but I thought it was really important to highlight these special people that have worked on all these projects that we've been updating over the last two years. Sheriff, can't tell you the partnership, how much we appreciate it. Uh, you I as look, well. Your, your staff is awesome. I mean, every time we call up, need something. I appreciate all that you guys do. So. And Brian, you stole my best people. <laughs> I'm going to get get even with you, but, <laughs> we're still here for you. But we appreciate everything you do for us, sir. And, and thank you for uh, not changing what they really do. And they're still hip deep in everything, and we appreciate everything that they're doing for us. And, but you got a bunch of good people. I fully agree. Commissioners, I invite you out in 11 days to watch history be made. <laughs> <laughs> We're switching to next gen 911 in 11 days. Jim. Ah, okay. Jim. Very good. Couldn't let that. Yeah. Let that but thank you very much for letting us do this tonight. Appreciate it. Take care, everybody. Thank you yeah. very much. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We're good. Yep. Have a great night. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Good. Excellent. Stay cool. <laughs> Nobody will ever come with me to a commissioner meeting again. <laughs> yeah, you've ruined it for us. I think you tricked them somehow to get here, all of them. That's a we're all good job. Yeah, all right. Thanks. Thanks very much. Very nice. Hmm? All right, commissioners, we are right on time. Um, now we have a uh, public hearing on County Ordinance 2203. And this is to eliminate a conflict between the State Forest Conservation Act and the state and local critical area laws. And I'll ask Patrick Thompson to come up and officiate the public hearing on County Ordinance 2203. Mr. Thompson? Ready? Yep. Proceed. This is a public hearing being held by the County Commissioners of Queen Anne's County, August 9th, 2022 at 6 p.m. in the County Commissioners Meeting Room, 107 North Liberty Street, Centerville, Maryland, to receive public comments regarding proposed County Ordinance Number 2203, a bill entitled an act concerning the repeal of Section 18166 of the Code of Public Local Laws of Queen Anne's County for the purpose of repealing Section 18166 of the Code, eliminating any conflict between Section 18166 and provisions of the State Forest Conservation Act and the state and local critical area laws, and generally eliminating the regulation of woodlands in Section 18166 from the Queen Anne's County Zoning Code. The proposed ordinance received a favorable recommendation from the Planning Commission at their June 9, 2022 meeting. 
All persons who wish to comment on the proposed ordinance may do so at this hearing. Speakers will be limited to three minutes each. Written testimony of Adelaide may be submitted on before the hearing date. County Commissioner. Uh, copies of the proposed ordinance have been available at the County Commissioner's Office, 107 North Liberty Street. During normal business hours, all clearing sites are accessible to individuals with disabilities. Sign language interpreters and assistive listening systems are available. Part of the record of this proceeding will be the uh, uh, certificate of publication indicating that the notice of tonight's hearing was published for three successive weeks in the Bay Times, Record Observer, newspapers of general circulation in Queen Anne's County. And I believe this was a citizen sponsored text amendment, so that that uh, petition as well as the uh, opinion, the uh, Recommendation of the Queen Anne's County Planning Commission will be part of the record. Um, a couple of people have signed up. Um, Barry, you, this is your amendment. Do you have anything you want to say first of all? Uh, yes, I, if, if I, Commissioner, would like to in, indulge me, I'd like to give you a quick PowerPoint explanation of why I presented this. Sure. <coughs> Okay, Barry Waterman, Centerville, Maryland. Um, I'm neither an attorney nor a professional planner, but I am a user of the zoning ordinance. This particular provision has, has been problematic off and on for decades. Um, this, is the, this is what we're talking about. And you can take time to look at that, but that's not really what's important, that you understand exactly what it says. What's, what's really important is you understand the problems that it presents. So before I start, I just want to make sure that everybody understands this has nothing to do with anybody in the current planning and zoning department. No one there has anything to do with this ordinance existing. Uh, where do I, there you go. It, it predates everyone. This comes from uh, those of you who remember Steve Ziegler was a planning director here 35 years ago. Prior to the critical area ordinance, prior to the Forest Conservation Act being adopted on a state level, we knew that was coming. And this provision was his idea on how Queen Anne's County could be exempt itself from those regulations. So this was adopted. Shortly thereafter, we, like every other county in the state of Maryland, had to adopt the critical area ordinance and the Forest Conservation Act. Um, so the, the issues that, that have come from that, this this wasn't this was a standalone ordinance and then other ordinance came and overlaid on top of that and so when you update things um, in zoning they're very complicated the, the updates come at different times and sometimes you get a confusing mess in the end so there's two major problems with this ordinance 
It's practically and legally confusing. Um, and it imposes restrictions in, on Queen Anne's County residents that are in fact higher than the rest of Maryland. Um, so it regulates woodlands inside and outside the critical area. The problem is woodlands is not defined in the Critical Area Act. Um, forest and developed woods are defined in the Critical Area Act. Subdivision regulations defines woodlands, forests, uh, but not developed woodlands. Critical Area Act defines other things. And the Forest Conservation Act defines yet other terms. So that wouldn't be, um, it, it's not as simple as you might think. Because if they were synonymous terms, if they were all defined the same, there wouldn't be any confusing. And, and people could look at this ordinance and understand what it means and how it impacts them. So all three of these uh, environmental acts protect things differently and define them differently. So these are just the definitions uh, in the uh, chapter 18, woodlands is a continuous area of natural vegetation, predominantly contains trees and other woody plants, a single tree is not a woodland. So now you're all clear on what is and what is not woodlands. Um, Critical Area Act defines its part, uh, limits certain coverages. Uh, if something's smaller than a certain number of square feet, it's not, it doesn't apply, it's not, it doesn't meet the definition. Forest Conservation Act defines them yet in a third way. So the question comes in, what do those definitions mean? What does it mean to be dominantly one thing, predominantly? Uh, what if the woody plants that are present uh, in whatever you're looking at are invasive species? Um, for my use and my um, impacts by this ordinance, it's much more um, impactful to me on small lots than it is on larger lots, simply because there's more, less space to work with. But I think that there may be other people who would have a different uh, take on that. <coughs> so the question is, is this a forest or woodland or developed woodland? Uh, I think we could all agree it's one of them, but I don't know which one it is. This is probably more meaningful because this is something that you might find in Queen Anne's County as opposed to something on the side of a mountain. Um, there's approximately 20 trees on that half acre in that picture. There's uh, 150 million blades of grass underneath of it. There's no woody plants. So what is it? Is it a forest or woodland or is it a lawn? And who decides? This is a lot down in Kent Island States. Um, the undergrowth is all tall grass and frag. Um, they, out, they outnumber the, the woody plants probably a million to one, um, according to Google and how many grass plants grow in an acre of ground. Um, if you look to the right, that's a more typical lot in those communities. They've taken all the trees out. Um, and the fact is that builders go into lots like this, they clear out what they can based on the limitations of 1-66, and then the owners move in and they take out the trees. Um, if you look at this picture, in the foreground is a house that's 20 or 30 years old. It is directly in line 
with five houses that someone I know well built. And if you look at those trees in the distance, they come right up to the back of the houses. 25 feet at the most from the back of the houses are these 100 foot tall trees. Um, the adjacent neighbor decides he wants to open it up to the sun. It does look good now that it's open, but nevertheless, all those trees are gone. And the fact is that most of the communities, uh, smaller, older communities, they look more like the house in the foreground than in the background. Um, so you, you have different interpretations depending on what ordinance you're looking at. So chapter 14 um, has protections for trees, maybe not for forest woodlands or developed woodlands, but every tree is protected by the Critical Area Act. If you take a tree down, you have to mitigate for it. Um, you have to replant, you have to, you have to do something. So there is protection there regardless of 18166. Uh, forest Conservation Act specifically exempts clearing of 40,000 square feet or less. The State Forest Conservation Act and our local Forest Conservation Act understand that the smaller the lot is, the, 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 the harder it is to not clear trees out and then have some economic use of the property. Um, 18166 trumps the Forest Conservation Act, it trumps the Critical Area Act, and puts another layer of regulations on what you can and can't do there. My contention is it's not necessary. Every county had to adopt the Critical Area Ordinance. Every county had to adopt Forest Conservation Act. The state approved the regulations that the county commissioners adopted here. Um, and both of those acts protect trees, woodlands, marsh, or anything you want to call a group of trees, scrub, woody brush. Um, 18166 is it's not necessary to prevent the wholesale slaughter of all woods in the world. Um, It's the only place I'm aware of where our subdivision chapter attempts to impose uh, regulations on property not being subdivided. Uh, we already talked about the fact that it's more impactful on small lots than it is on larger ones. Uh, everywhere else in our code that I'm aware of, small lots get a break. Small lots ha can have more lot coverage than percentage-wise than large lots. Small lots uh, get reduced setbacks from the street or from the sides. Um, 1866 doesn't do that. Um, this is a hypothetical half-acre wooded lot in an uh, urban commercial in a growth area, but limited development area. The uh, Forest Conservation Act says there's no woodlands on it because it's under one acre. Um, I mean, Critical Area Act. Every tree removed has to be mitigated. So if there's 100 trees on this lot and you take 100 <coughs> trees down, you've got to mitigate 100 trees. Replant them on the site, um, pay for the trees that you take down, but in theory, you can deal with the trees under the Critical Area Act and still protect overall forest in the county. Um, if it's not in the Critical Area, forest conservation would not apply because it's under 40,000 square feet. But with 18166, you're limited to 20% of the trees can be cleared in the Critical Area, uh, which would allow you to clear 4,300 square feet of a 20,000 square foot lot uh, in a growth area where you're supposed to be encouraging growth. Um, you just can't build anything viable if it was wooded, regardless of the fact that it is in a growth area and is owned urban commercial. 
Down at Kent Island Estates, um, if you have a quarter acre lot down there, um, it can't be developed woodlands because it's less than one acre in size. Uh, if it's in a critical area, every tree that you remove has to be mitigated for. In theory, not in reality, but in theory, you could clear all the trees if you mitigated for them and got appropriate permissions. Uh, and if not in a critical area, then you wouldn't be worried about forest clearing because it's under 40,000 square feet. But with 18166 in play, no more than 20% of the woodlands can be cleared, uh, no more than 40% outside. And you're talking about a lot that's only 10,000 square feet. So if the most you can clear is 40% of a 10,000 square foot lot, you don't have much of a place to build a house. And you end up with big trees right next to the houses, um, which the bulk of the people who, build, who, who buy houses in those older communities, they eventually take the trees down. They rot, they do whatever. We'd be far better off to, to, to let builders t take the trees down and make them plant a bunch of trees on the same lot than to leave scrub crappy trees that um, have come up over time. Um, so it's, con it's confusing. The, the ordinance is confusing. It's in contradiction to other things. It's part of um, planning has a monumental task to update all of the environmental ordinances. They're, I don't know how old they are, they're old. Um, they all need to be updated and this is part of that part of that issue and and it going away in my opinion creates a clean slate that would make it easier to determine what the forest conservation and critical area act should address in that regard um, it's not been very consistently enforced in fact it's been unenforced for most of its existence in my experience this law was simply forgotten about once the critical area and the forest conservation act were adopted and then every now and then it comes back into play. Somebody remembers, oh wait, this, this applies. Um, so that's just, that's not the biggest problem. That's just another issue there. And, and but the reality is it's not accomplishing a long-term goal. If you wanna have a long-term goal of protecting trees, let's plant trees, let's make people plant trees. Let's not say you have to save a tree even though it's gonna make your lot uh, far less useful than it would otherwise be and put your house and, and your, your uh, possessions in danger of trees falling on it. Can I stop you right there real quick, Barry? So uh, there are situations that I've, that I've been aware of in my own community where, where the situation, just like yourself, they, they, they built the home, the developer sold the home, and a couple years later, the homeowner cut the trees down. And then there was, then they got in trouble with planning and zoning because they cut a tree down they weren't supposed to, and they had to mitigate it and put a tree back. So, um, so, I, so I guess my, my question is, is it still confusing if, if you're saying the developer would cut the trees down and then have to mitigate it once the home was built, he'd have to find other areas on that lot to replace the trees that were taken down. Is that what you're saying? Uh, that's certainly an, an alternative. You would be far better off from a, from a safety perspective and an aesthetic perspective if you made me plant 25 trees around a house so that they could grow up and have a good root system than forcing me to leave trees that are up close to where the foundation was that may or may not be pretty solid. Okay. Um, and you know, the, the bigger issue is right now we have, we have good people at planning um, they're the ones who are going to make these determinations. They, there isn't enough clarity in the law for somebody to say, this says this. It's, it's all up to interpretation. But I don't know 
how long they're going to be there, and I don't know who's coming next, and whether they're going to be reasonable or unreasonable um, is it's just a problem. So that's what I have for you. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. All right, uh, people who have signed up to speak, Frank, Gialli, and Nardo. Frank DiGiolionardo, uh, 309 Quail Run Drive, Centerville. Um, my apologies for not having a PowerPoint presentation. I know we were going to do those this evening, but maybe I don't need to apologize for that given the hour. But um, I'm here representing the Corsica River Conservancy. I, um, we've submitted uh, a document to you already. Uh, I believe you have it, but I have another copy here, Todd, if you have it. Yeah, we have it. I'm gonna give us the talk. Thanks, Frank. Of course we like trees. Um, but we're opposed to this uh, idea of simply doing away with uh, the Woodlands Act as a protection. Um, you know, we just got through not too long ago a very involved, very expensive, extensive, comprehensive planning process. And in that process, uh, you all committed, uh, recommitted to protections of this county's uh, valued natural resources. Uh, and the, and furthermore, uh, to support uh, the um, no net reduction of our forests. These are really important, and I think they were important listening to uh, the many people who were involved in that comprehensive planning process make their comments from the public. I think uh, those resources were very, very important to them as well. Um, the Planning Commission signed off on that comprehensive plan update. Um, excellent work from our planning staff. It's pretty hard to understand uh, why the Planning Commission would forward this on uh, for your consideration and approval, given uh, some basic inconsistencies uh, with this whole idea of doing away with the Woodlands Act and the commitments that are in that uh, comprehensive plan. Your own um, technical staff uh, did go through these various laws that Mr. Waterman just uh, referred to. And they tried to identify specifically uh, what additional threats there would be uh, to our woodlands if we did away with the Woodlands Act as of right now. And I think, uh, you know, Mr. Waterman said he's not a planning expert. I'm not a planning expert, uh, but those are your experts. Um, I believe they're called the uh, TACO, or I like that acronym, um, especially on Tuesdays, right? TACO Tuesday? Makes me a little hungry. But um, we know trees are the most cost-effective tool that you can have to combat uh, stormwater uh, problems, uh, to combat climate change. It affects our air. It affects our uh, waters and tributaries. Uh, it affects our quality of life. And it may be that there is language to be cleared up between the current Woodlands Act uh, and 
the other two uh, laws that were referenced, critical area and forestry laws. But that's one thing to do, is clear, clear up uh, regulations and code. It's another thing to remove protections. And if I could just quote uh, your technical staff, again, the top Tucker staff, these were their findings and their findings to the Planning Commission, who then went ahead and uh, moved this on for your consideration. One, potentially more woodlands could be disturbed than removed with removal of this act. Woodland provisions offer more protection than Forest Conservation Act. The woodlands provisions offer more protection for project approval within the critical area. Allowing greater threshold of woodlands removal that is consistent with the critical area law and the Forest Conservation Act would potentially allow for greater development in sensitive areas. Not the sort of thing that we should be considering at this point in time. So um, while I think it would be a good idea to review and simplify regulations, I don't think a good start to that is simply repealing an act that's pr protecting a very valuable resource to this county. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Annie Richards. Good evening. I'm Annie Richards. I'm the Chester River Keeper from Shore Rivers. Um, Annie, where do you live? You live in Queen Anne's County? I live in Kent County, but Shore River serves oh, yeah, yeah. all these counties. Yeah, yeah I'm from yeah, 8355 Broadneck Road, Kent County. Uh, Maryland loses about 3,000 trees a year due to development activities across the state. Eastern Shores, the Eastern Shores land use is 65% agricultural, and because of that dominant land use, we are one of the least treed regions in the state. Kent and Queen Anne's County are tied for the least treed counties in the state, meaning that the Chester River watershed is the least protected, least treed watershed that goes into the Chesapeake Bay in the state of Maryland. Uh, that's all according to data produced by DNR. Um, trees, as Frank said from Corsica River Conservancy, trees are the most cost-effective and long-term protection that we can offer our waterways in terms of improving water quality, protecting from nutrient runoff, shading impervious surface, uh, and carbon sequestration as we deal with resiliency measures for climate change. Repealing Woodlands Provision 18-1-66 is not in the best interest of protecting our waterways, and which is an economic resource as well as an environmental resource to Queen Anne's County. This also seems to be at odds with the county's newly updated comprehensive plan, which emphasizes its rural landscapes and the importance of preserving its natural resources. Mr. Waterman submits that this provision as it stands is confusing and promotes erratic enforcement and Shore River supports this county evaluating the language for clarity uh, to make this more straightforward so that it can be a useful tool to protect woodlands in hand in hand with development that will undoubtedly occur in Queen Anne's County. But to remove it altogether would result in unnecessary loss of woodlands, which in my opinion is a loss that Queen Anne's County and the Chester River cannot afford. I would also add that many Western Shore counties have regulations and provisions that go above state minimum requirements, even though they are not the least treated areas in the state. Kent County is currently evaluating its own woodland protections and is looking to its neighboring counties to evaluate their practices and comparing that to what they should make theirs. Right now, Queen Anne's County is a leader on the Eastern Shore for including zoning codes that go above and beyond state minimum. And I think that Queen Anne's County should 
decide to continue to be that leader uh, in going above and beyond state requirements because that bolsters your excellent comprehensive plan and continues to protect our waterways and woodland habitats. Thank you. That's all I have to say. Thank you. That's all I had to sign up. Is there anyone else who's in public comment? He's far more important than I am. He should maybe go before me. So. Good evening, Commissioners. Jay Falstead, Queen Anne's Conservation Association. Um, I hate to start off on a negative note, but I do want to point this out just as a practical matter of fairness. Any ordinance that comes before the county, no matter what it is, you've got proponents and opponents. And they're each given three minutes. And so tonight, in something that is extraordinary, and I've never seen in almost my, in my 20 years of coming to county commissioner meetings, Mr. Waterman's a friend, so I don't want to beat him up too bad, but he was given an extraordinary 13 minutes to make a whole entire statement completely usurping anything that county staff might have to say. And I'm just saying, if that's the way that this is going to go, where a proponent is allowed 13 minutes, then I hope that you'll also give opponents um, an extraordinary amount of latitude. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, Here's Queen Anne's Conservation Association's position on this. Ordinance 2203 originated as a text amendment and proposes to remove the woodlands protection provisions from the county code. The staff report makes clear that the result of doing this will be, and I quote on page six, quote, removing the woodlands provision in its entirety would allow for a greater loss of woodlands and potentially more development, end quote. The staff explains that our own county woodlands law, which Ordinance 2203 seeks to repeal, is more protective of woodlands than the state's critical area law or Forest Conservation Act. That is a good thing. Queen Anne's County should do its level best to do better than what the state does, and we should make no apologies for that. Ordinance 2203 can be addressed, as the staff says, in the context of an update of the county zoning code, which is also on page seven. And that's about to happen following the new review of the comprehensive plan. The staff in their report says that our resource protection standards need updating, and they remind us that the comp plan calls for us to consider, quote, establishing a no net loss of forest policy for the entire county. The county commissioners, as you move forward on this, should insist in having presented to you a considered set of amendments that deal with trees and wooded areas in the county. That's what your staff recommends. That's what Queen Anne's Conservation Association strongly supports, and we hope that you'll do this just that. And I just want to close on this. In this era of climate change, which is on the news every single night, we always hear about these tree planting initiatives. That's a good thing. But nothing does a better job of sequestering carbon, producing oxygen, and providing wildlife habitat than a fully mature tree. So for every one tree, mature tree, that we cut down and we plant with 20, it's not doing the job that a fully mature tree is doing. And so on, those, on that basis alone, I hope you'll um, consider this. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, Steve Klein, I'm the President and CEO of the Eastern Shore Land Conservancy, and I am a constituent, proudly a constituent of Queen Anne's County Commission here. Uh, Eastern Shore Land Conservancy would encourage you to uh, allow the clarification of this ordinance in the context of 
uh, a comprehensive uh, relook at your uh, zoning rules. Uh, as Mr. Waterman rightly pointed out, confusion is made when changes to zoning rules are made in a vacuum. And I would argue that further confusion will persist if those regulations are withdrawn in a vacuum. Uh, given that the town county staff, excuse me, uh, is about to undergo a full rewrite or a full review of those uh, zoning rules, I think we would argue that uh, this take place as part of that and uh, urge you to uh, follow the wise counsel of your planning staff. I would also say that you know ESLC, who has 60,000 acres under easement across six counties from Cecil to Dorchester, uh, is prioritizing our best forests. And I think people can get very emotional about trees and about forests, but not every tree is the same. Not every forest tract is of the highest quality. And as Mr. Waterman uh, alluded to, there are many tree uh, forested parcels here that are uh, invaded with invasive species. And I think a, uh, a look, a relook at this, as Mr. Falstead said, uh, there is nothing inherently wrong with having a stronger policy than the state. In fact, I would argue that's a good thing. Uh, but we should be prioritizing protecting uh, our best forest tracks, our healthiest forest tracks. The average lot size owned by a forest land owner uh, in Maryland is less than 15 acres. So there, these are not, you know, there's not very many big parcels of intact forest land left, which makes them incredibly hard to manage. People don't want to manage a five or a 10 or 15 acre piece of woods. So I would just prioritize protecting our, our best forests, our best intact forests, and healthiest forests, restoring forest land so they don't look like what Mr. Waterman presented in some of those cases. And I would also argue for potentially some compromise here, a way to get at uh, what will be good for smart growth, which is the you know, development of infill parcels in growth areas, uh, perhaps you know, less than an acre, uh, where this you know, we could strike some compromise that gets uh, Mr. M Mr. Waterman what he needs or you know, development what they need, uh, but also protects forest land. So I would uh, end with that. Thank you all very much for your service. Appreciate it. Thank you. We have public comment. Good evening. My name is Lindsay Dixon. I'm a local builder. Built uh, probably most of the houses down in Kent Island Estates where a lot of this comes into play. And I think uh, a lot of things I'm hearing tonight are, are very common. Everyone's goal is to save trees and do what's best for the environment and save our rivers and save our county as we're all residents here. But um, like you alluded to at the very end right there, if you have 50 foot wide lots, 75 foot wide lots, 100 foot wide lots, in a 1950 subdivision that was never engineered and you, we run sewer down to it and we expect builders to buy lots and build it. We start off the first six months when they're going to issue permits and no permits are being issued because if you read the ordinances, no houses can be built that have uh, trees on them basically. So they address that, they come back. DPW is doing a great job when you go to build in between two existing homes that have been there forever and they're limited to how many trees they can let a builder build uh, clear. And then all of a sudden, if you're just clearing the very minimal, and then you have 20 feet behind your house, you're building your house up so you don't have water problems. And then you're also building swales on the side of the lot so that you don't create issues for your neighbors. And then you run it out to streets that don't have swales or do have swales. You create a big water problem down the road where almost every one of our homeowners comes in and clear cuts the back of the lot or clear cuts half the lot. They don't build up the area because they don't know. They don't tie into the swales and now you have a huge water problem for them and all their neighbors. 
So to clean up this, uh, this tree issue so that builders can go in and put their foundations up at grade and create a nice uh, grade lot that runs water off and doesn't create issues for your neighbors and then have us plant trees, have us do whatever. We're all for trees and if there's a huge tree that we, that we have the ability not to take down, we'll do our best. But very flat lots with high water table that were never engineered creates huge problem and makes builders look terrible. And they call you guys up all the time. We have an issue. If you let us go in from the get-go, build it up, clear back to what's reasonable, give people a nice yard so that they don't come in and clear cut later and create problems for all of us later, it'd just be a, a, probably a good thing. So in the long run, we're all on the same page from what I'm hearing. We just need to clean it up so the communication's less to get permits out quicker, to allow us to do what we do and have things drain properly and not create problems for our neighbors down the road. Thank you. Do you have somebody online? Yeah. <clears throat> anybody, else? <clears throat> anybody else in the room? Good evening, commissioners. Uh, Tom Aid with Green Street Housing, located in Salisbury, Maryland. Uh, Green Street's the developer of the village of Slippery Hill. Um, Green Street has uh, been recognized as, as a leader in sustainable design. And uh, we pride ourselves on environmental stewardship. Um, we exclusively develop property in growth areas. I'm speaking in support of the elimination of the uh, node that we're talking about tonight. I want to share the, um, want to quantify the impact that that ordinance had on the village of Slippery Hill. Um, it's known that Queen Anne's County is uh, suffering from not having uh, enough workforce housing. Um, this ordinance limited the physical space that was available for development and ultimately limited the number of affordable or workforce housing units that were able to be built on the site. The site um, was 23 acres forested uh, of a 24.8 acre site. Forest Conservation Act uh, required that uh, or allowed the, the clearing of 14.7 acres. Uh, forest, uh, and that would put uh, 8.6 acres in protected long-term easement. This particular ordinance um, only allowed 9.4 acres of clearing. The end result was a delta of 5.3 acres in the growth area with high-density zoning served by public water and sewer um, that couldn't be used. 5.3 acres could have been more usable open space, could have been more workforce housing units, could have been more um, out, outdoor amenities for the project. Um, based on the density calculations of the conditionally approved site plan for the site um, and the proposed additional commercial component uh, yet to be approved, uh, we estimate that this uh, 5.3 acres um, that's trapped by this zoning and it's prohibited um, an additional 86 units from being developed. Thank you. Yes, anyone else? You want to just put that in the record or put the record? Um, so we have, we have four that were basically the... Uh, four? Uh, you have four emails that were uh, all the same. I can read off the names of the gentleman after okay. I read the email. Um, so, email goes, dear commissioners, I support the elimination of 181 
66 from the QAC code. This provision has been a detriment to business, subjects the citizens of QAC to a higher burden of regulation than the rest of the state, limits density of development in growth areas, and accomplishes minimal, if any, long-term good. QAC residents should be held to the standards of the critical area and forest conservation ordinances and not to a holdover ordinance from before these landmark environmental laws were adopted across the state of Maryland. Thank you, and it was signed by uh, Mr. Matt Alchi, Mr. Ray Perdue, Mr. Mike Leahy, and Mr. Charlie Moore. Now I have uh, Mr. Aid and Mr. Waterman both sent an, sent an email, and I can read them, but since they spoke, I didn't know if you wanted me to read those emails as well. We're good. We're good, okay. Um, and then the final one. Yes. The final email is from uh, and Mr. DJ Dawes of uh, 101 Somerset Road, Stevensville, Maryland. Dear Commissioners, I am writing in favor of repealing Section 18-1-66 of the Code of Public Local Laws. As a local resident of Kent Island Estates, as well as the local realtor and licensed home builder, I see firsthand the negative impacts of following Section 18-1-66 when it is properly followed and the ineffectiveness, ineffectiveness of the code when it is not enforced consistently. Lacking the ability to properly clear a small, fully wooded lot during the home building process has a negative impact on property values for new homes in the area. Most home buyers do not want to buy a brand new home with a backyard of only 20 feet of grass and trees after that. Home buyers are concerned of problematic trees too close to a house and worry about the safety of such trees. I have personally built a new home in Kent Island Estates and was required to leave trees due to this section of the code and as a result had a large branch fall through the roof of the home within months of it being occupied after a strong storm came through the area. The majority of home buyers do not want to buy a property where large trees are in close proximity to the home. Because of this, home buyers are turned off by the lack of sufficient backyard and the concern of the trees that are not willing to pay as much for the property. As a local top realtor, I've heard clients state this over and over again. This is especially true for small infill lots on Southern Ken Island. As a builder, the truly frustrating part is when I am required to follow the section 181-66, but shortly after settlement, I drive by the property and see that the new homeowners have disregarded the section of the code, possibly out of ignorance, and clear the entire lot of all trees. This renders the code ineffective. Builders are held to the stringent standard, standard while the general public does not seem to be. I understand enforcement may be difficult when permits are not being pulled, but nonetheless, this code becomes a double standard when enforced upon builders, developers, but not on Harry the homeowner. As a resident of Kent Island Estates, I see, the, I see first the clearing of the small infill lots during construction. Quite honestly, the cleared lots are far more attractive than the overgrown wooded lots on the back section of many of these homes. The cleared lots hold less water, thereby becoming less of a mosquito breeding ground, and they allow more sunlight to penetrate the ground, which also keeps the lot drier. As a neighbor to the clearing of the lots, I personally value the additional sunlight, the drier lots, the effective removal of mosquito breeding grounds that cleared the lots added to the community. The wooded sections that remained on the rear of the newly developed lots and undeveloped lots tend to hold water and are a nuisance to the community. In closing, as a realtor, builder, and most importantly, as a resident that is impacted by this decision, I favor the removal of section 81-66 as it pertains to the residential building lots in the county. Okay. Any other public comment? Any staff comment? Amy? 
In that two weeks, I think I'd, Todd, if you could somehow have staff do some sort of presentation or enlighten us as to why their recommendation to the Planning and Zoning Board was unfavorable. Certainly, we can do that. I, just, just for educational purposes, if you guys could put something together that we can understand. Okay. We can do that. Certainly. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> All right. I think we're good. Right. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Mr. Thompson. All right, commissioners. We have two other pieces of legislative business this evening. First, we have uh, county ordinance, proposed county ordinance 22-02, and this is an act concerning the recreational vehicle parking in the waterfront village center zoning district. It is available for introduction. I'll introduce 2202. Okay, Commissioner Jack Wilson. Then we have County Ordinance 22-10, an act concerning the revisions to the Queen Anne's County Ethics Ordinance, Chapter 8 of the Code of Public Local Laws. I will introduce 2210. Commissioner Jack Wilson can introduce both of those. We'll schedule hearings for both of those. All right. All right. Let's see. Moving on. Now we have our next presenter. We have... Heather Tonelli from the Economic and Development Economic, Economic and Tourism Development. We have uh, her her presentation of the Rural Maryland Grant Fund, and we have a resolution and a letter of support for consideration as well. Good evening. Awesome. Good evening. We also have uh, Rebecca Lepter here. She works with us as our Economic Development Coordinator and was absolutely crucial in uh, developing our application and going through the process. Couldn't have done it without her, so I'm thankful she was able to join us tonight. Um, so we submitted to you earlier um, in your package a PowerPoint presentation as well as a list of potential projects, but I wanted to go through the whole process so we, um, so everyone understands how we came to the, this current application that you have before you. Uh, the Governor Hogan back in February of 22 announced that he wanted to um, establish a $50 million fund focused on rural Maryland. And then we further found out that they decided to disseminate that, that money um, through the Tri-County Councils, and there's five of them. So each of those councils will be, um, in the near future, awarded $10 million. Um, each council is comprised of three counties. We're part of Upper Shore Regional Council, so and I know you're all very familiar with that. That includes Kent, Cecil, and of course, Queen Anne's. Um, on, on the first page, you'll see, what do I hit? Uh, some of the parameters. Um, so this was announced in February. Uh, they had to wait for the, the budgets to be approved. The final parameters came out, I think, on May 12th. Um, and that's what you see here. And then we had a very quick turnaround to get it out to um, businesses, I'm sorry, nonprofits and, and our um, municipalities. And so you'll see here that the main focus was infrastructure projects that would support economic development activity, stimulate private investment, and grow jobs. Um, those are the, the three um, key points. Um, ineligible projects included private, private sector incentives, so we couldn't do subsidies or grants um, or construction of facilities. 
that sort of thing. It was pretty specific, and, and in fact, up until a couple weeks ago, there was um, continued updates of the frequently asked questions and parameter changes, so um, thank goodness they didn't affect how we went through the project. So I wanted to t talk to you about our process of coming up with the uh, proposed projects. Uh, so once we were given the um, information, as I mentioned, each of the Tri-County Councils, um, we found out they were getting 10 uh, Upper Shore Regional Council met, and they determined that um, each of their counties, their member counties, would receive $2.9 million, and then 1.3, the remaining portion, would be used for regional collective projects that would affect or benefit all three counties. Um, while we were trying to develop the programming, um, it was basically left to each county and each regional council as to how they developed their programming, other than these overall parameters, um, whether, they, whether they did one big project or a few small projects, it was really up to each individual um, area. We did reach out to some of the other counties and some of the other tri-county councils, many of them. Um, one, for example, is, is looking to get funding for a new business park. They already had the land, they're doing the roads and infrastructure, that sort of thing. One of them had a potential regional airport that they were considering doing, you know, so each one is different. Um, and so what we decided to do is we met with the commissioner liaisons that are part of the Upper Shore Regional Council Board, Commissioner Corcorino and Commissioner Wilson, um, to discuss the parameters to make sure we understood uh, what those were. And we sent out a letter of interest request um, asking those uh, towns through the Council of Governments and and then uh, some of our nonprofits that we uh, felt may have some economic development projects, job creators. Uh, we sent out the letter of interest request and then from that we received $6.6 .6 million in potential projects or 21 different letters. And within those letters, some of them had additional projects. Every single one of them was a great project. Every single one of them or applicants were certainly um, impactful. The, you know, they're, they're great organizations or, or municipalities, so um, it, it made it even harder to, to move through that selection process. Um, Upper Shore Regional Council was great, and they also took our projects as we went through the process and presented them to Commerce. With, um, they went directly to them and they vetted some of our projects. Ones we thought that would work, they told us they would not, so that further, further whittled down the list. Uh, we then asked those that kind of made it past that section to actually fill out the full application. And we received those at the end of June. Uh, and we used the same grant review committee that we used for all of the COVID money. They worked well together, you know, a true independent um, voice when reviewing those projects. Um, and so that's the list that you see, the final list here. They are making the recommendation to you as the commissioners for the final approval because it's, it's your uh, final approval of the application before it goes up or shore. We have to have these full applications for each project to Upper Shore Regional Council by um, this Friday. So it's a tight turnaround. Uh, so we've, we've prepared a letter of recommendation or support for the commission if they so choose to sign, as well as a, a desk item resolution to sign to support the overall Upper Shore Regional Council's um, application. So uh, we thought we'd go through, if, if you didn't mind, some of the uh, details of the projects that were recommended through the Grant Review Committee, and we're happy to answer any questions that you have. Uh, 
And just a, a quick reminder of the breakdown, full funding was 10 million, each county's getting 2.9, and then for regional projects, which I'm sure regional council will be presenting and preparing, um, is a, is a 1.3. From some of that money, uh, they are uh, pulling some, re some administrative costs, which is completely understandable because this is quite a bit of money to manage. Um, so the, the first one that we wanted to share that was recommended by the Grant Review Committee was uh, for the Queen Anne's County 4-H Park Association. And that uh, was at a request for 1.2 million for pretty much a complete upgrade of their infrastructure, their park grounds, their electric, their paving, their looking at um, handicapped spaces, their walkways, water lines, um, upgraded broadband for Wi-Fi and cell phone use um, and an improvement of some of their facilities so that they can use them um, despite whatever kind of weather and, and just an overall upgrade. And the overall goal is to um, facilitate all the agriculture uh, education that they currently do as well as offer more, be able to increase um, agriculture related events and a few other special events. Um, but overall, it's, you know, 80 years this year for the 4-H Fair. It's a very important cultural, historical property in addition to the fact that it supports one of our key industries, which is agriculture. You know, the current farmers as well as those that are coming into the agriculture practice. Um, and in addition, if you think about during the 4-H Fair and, and other events, they have outside vendors that come in, so we're supporting small business on that end. Through future events, we can see, you know, potential hotel stays, you know, spending in restaurants, retail, that sort of thing down the line. So that's um, one of the first ones and the largest one that we have on the books. Oh, okay. So one of the next projects we have is um, we are looking at doing a strategic asset industry and industry competitive analysis. So coming out of COVID-19, looking at economic recovery and what does that look like? Queen Anne's County wants to be ahead of everybody else, and we think a study like this will really be a great tool for us in how to prioritize moving forward what those economic development strategies are. Um, we know we have um, our employers are looking for support with workforce development. We think this will be a great tool for that. And once we have the uh, strategic asset and industry competitive analysis done, we're going to use that information to then um, have a strategic plan. We're going to use that and, and then implement all those strategies. So our current strategic plan is aging. It will be, I think we have maybe two years left on it, and it, it could use some new life. So that is our second strategy. I neglected to mention that the funding has to be spent in 24 months. So Rebecca reminded me when she said that. And we do have a current strategic plan that will be, you know, expiring. And much of it, you know, was very relevant at the time. But as we know, so much has changed just in general. And then in addition with COVID impacts, just um, what kind of industries we can attract and what opportunities are there has really changed. And I, we hope to. Um, can I stop you right there, Heather, and ask a question? Um, can these monies for these projects that have been selected, which glancing <coughs> over them, you know, are obviously all well deserved um, and, and serve a, a great purpose in our community, uh, specifically the 4 H Park, because that fair is going on right now. And I mean, you don't, I mean, you walk through a, that, that fair in the next five days and you can see that there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. So uh, my question is these monies, can they be used for salaries to hire people? It can, however, um, it can be used for operating 
expenses and for salaries, we have to make a very strong case as to how those salaries and those operating expenses will be sustained after this funding is over. Okay. And there are a couple projects in here where that is um, something of point, which we've followed up on to make sure that that's the case. Yeah, one-time money and as opposed to on, right. uh, ongoing costs. Okay. Uh, yeah. And these are for shovel-ready projects. Yes. Too. So that was another factor as we were making those recommendations. That mm -hmm. these some some of the projects were great, but yes. they were further than 24 months out. And so we, we had to stick with those that were really, truly shovel-ready and not ideas that were come up with once they heard the money was available. You know, we really wanted to make sure these were already in queue. Uh, the next one we have is the Town of Centerville Wastewater Treatment Plant Upgrades. Uh, they requested um, 700000 for uh, three, I forget, it might be four, but three different components of their wastewater upgrade that they are planning. The overall project is close to $30 million. They have requested funding um, for the other portions of that and are working on the remaining um, unfunded sides. But we did double check with um, Alan Quimby to make sure that the things that were in this plan could be facilitated and completed within 24 months. And we worked with the town to make sure that these components would remain once they do their upgrades. Um, and it's in hopes that they will be able to further um, develop their current business park. And when they look at annexing lands, there's potential for you know, future business development as well as um, housing development on that. Um, so the, the grant review committee suggested a uh, grant of 500000 for that. The next one we have is the town of Churchill. They submitted several projects, um, but some of those uh, are certainly warranted, but they weren't um, necessarily shovel ready. Uh, they were a while out, but this project, um, even Commerce felt was a, a great project. They want to erect a cell phone uh, tower where their current wastewater treatment plant is to enhance their wireless communications, um, including internet and broadband in the surrounding areas, which will help the current businesses there, those that are working from home, and just the general residents to be able to have um, access. And that's a, just a fee of $10,000 to do that. So next one. I will. So Upper Shore Community Development Partners is who we're looking to contract with um, and consult on offering a minority entrepreneurship training accelerator pilot program. So this is something that we don't currently have the capacity to do within our office, but we know that this is important work. And they will be working with uh, up to five um, black or minority sole proprietorships and giving them all kinds of support and technical assistance in budgeting, um, marketing, all kinds of support to help them. And this will be a great opportunity for us to look at that model and see you know, what's working, what's not working, if it's something we wanna to continue to fund and look at in the future. So this is a... And, 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 and so the goal here is after the year is up that they learned enough and have enough training that they can sustain their business on their own moving forward. Yes. And there's even a small grant component to it, <clears throat> a small micro grant to help with, um, I think, future expansion and or marketing as a component to that. Uh, the next one we have is uh, Chesapeake College. They asked for several different programming um, requests 
And, and I wanted to point out that the, the amount that you see here is not the, the whole amount that will be funded. They actually reached out to all of the counties that they support and asked for the same amount of money equally. Um, and Upper Shore Regional Council has decided as a portion of their regional projects that they're going to cover um, Kent County's, a portion of Kent County's request and a portion of Queenian's request. And then Cecil um, is planning to also support their community college. So this amount of 141 is not the, the full amount that Chesapeake will get, but it's some great programming with their marine trades expansion. They're looking to do um, an advanced manufacturing technology program, um, as well as an, a center of innovation and entrepreneurship. <coughs> also noting that uh, one of the components that we uh, will make sure that's in place is the ability to fund these programs once they're up and running. I mean, the Marine Trades is there, but the expansion, once they get um, enrollment up, should be self-sufficient, and, and same with the advanced um, manufacturing. So this is kind of seed startup money, and these programs should be able to continue on their own. Is it specific to just these trades you mentioned, the Marine Trades? The Marine Trades, um, advanced manufacturing, and then the Center for Innovative entrepreneurship. The big, biggest new one they're adding is the advanced manufacturing based mm -hmm. on all the stuff that's come back from both Queen Anne's and Kent in terms of the need for people trained in CNC machines and things like that. They see where they fill the classes. So. so the next one is for Queen Anne's County Public Schools and this is very exciting for us because the program that we currently have, there are CTE liaison, Connie Dean, which I'm sure many of you know or have talked to, um, has been really successful for our department and, and it's been great to see. And so this would be an expansion, a two-year expansion of that, and this would allow for two career counselors to be placed in each of the high schools. And so they would be really, they would be dedicated to establishing internships and apprenticeships and working directly with the students. That would allow Connie to kind of take a different approach in her work, her overall work with the businesses. So this um, really enhances and expands the capacity of our workforce development initiatives and, and those business partnerships. So they would be in-house, in the schools. This funding would be for two years, one staff member at each school for over two years, as well as um, some infrastructure needs to get those career centers set up, upgraded, because currently there's not much there and they don't have staffing for them. So these, these persons would be guaranteed, dedicated to working with the students on career counseling and working with their businesses. And so that gets back to my original question. This will be a salary to bring these two people on for both those high schools. Mm -hmm. Okay. Will be yes. with a, with we put the request in for a letter of commitment from the public schools to say that they will fund those salaries beyond the two years. Okay. Which they should be able to, with the current funding, when it kicks in, in two years, that they're, the career and uh, education path money has to be designated and spent on things like this. So that money will be there in 2024 to backfill this and they have indicated that they will provide a letter of commitment so okay so it'll kind of be seamless transition okay all right so, the stuff. <laughs> yeah so the next one um just tell me if that's too brief um is the town of Suglersville. so in working towards the you know the comp plan is saying we're directing growth to the municipalities our office has been working very diligently to support 
the municipalities and getting ready for economic growth. Uh, the town of Settlersville in working with us is also recognizing that they are, have limited capacity. And so they've applied for a consultant to help them with economic development and for a comprehensive plan, which is either out of date already or about to be. So this would allow for them to have some staff that they very much need who is like really focused on economic development and helping them move forward, making sure that the things that they need in place in order to be able to go after additional funding are there. Um, the, the next one we have is um, high fiber connection, or high speed fiber connection in the Chesapeake Bay Business Park. This would be for the infrastructure only. Currently there is, um, you know, obviously internet connection through the, the business park, um, but they consistently have issues with speed and reliability. Um, and so we've talked to a provider that is willing to run the fiber throughout the park to make sure it's high end and that will enable us to attract, you know, high end businesses that need um, high speed capacity, that sort of thing. And they'll have to pay for it themselves. Normally, because um, there are some businesses within the park that do have the high speed, but they've had to pay for the under, you know, the, the actual laying of the fiber and, and all that additional costs. We're hoping to kind of take that burden away. Um, and they, you know, the business park does explain, ex anticipate expansion for a few extra buildings in the near future. So what, do you know what their current occupancy percentages are now? I don't know their occupancy percentage. It's high. It's 90 in the 90s. Oh, okay. It's in the 90s. So they're already thinking about other buildings. They yes. are. They have them in the oh, works. Yeah, yeah they can. Uh, and it's when a, they, they just came for allocation, that's when we'll go for their yeah. one of them. They have another one ready to go, almost ready to go. So I'll speak quickly on these. The uh, Queen Anne's County Watermen's Association uh, applied to purchase equipment for an oyster shell recovery and um, spat planning. And um, it's actually really cool and simple. You can see a brief picture of it. They, the technology's already been tested and- um, Next slide, next slide. Yeah. Oh, sorry, <laughs> see it on here. The technology's already been tested and they, they're working with the, um, the individual that has this and is using it now to help them, you know, develop it and, and do that in Queen Anne's County. The cool part is, um, you know, they'll be able to do over seven million uh, plant over seven million larvae, which is pretty. That's pretty a it big comes number. With it, right? Yeah, yeah. This that's part of the deal. This pays for for that as well. So um, we're pretty simple cost and pretty amazing outcome. Um, and then the next one is um, was suggested by both um, our, our planning staff as well as the extension office. They kind of work together in coming up with the parameters uh, for growing agribusiness in Queen Anne's County. They're looking um, from the comp plan, some of the, the information that came out of that is, you know, agribusiness is important to the county, but to make sure that our codes are up to date and, and that we're supporting them and that everything works together. And this study will enable um, our county to do that in, in an informed way. So um, I worked with both the extension office and with planning on coming up with what the study would be, the scope of work, all that stuff. Um, and then the remaining, you'll see the 37,000, that's the administrative fees that Upper Shore Regional Council has requested. Um, so to, to finalize this process, we're happy to answer any questions you have about any of the projects. Um, we would need an approval of these. So I, I don't mean I don't mean to monopolize I'm, the. I'm, no, I'm going to go ahead and I'll make a motion on the resolution. Well, I have just a real quick okay. question. Uh, so for the for the folks that didn't make the hit list, 
Yes. Um, are, are there things that we can do for those folks? Absolutely. The cool part about that grant review process is we had some very knowledgeable persons as part of that, and, and we know some grant stuff too. But they um, came, every single one of them, we came up with other financial solutions, and okay. we've reached out to those um, individuals that applied that didn't make this round, and we plan to, as soon as we get this application out, reach out to them and see if they want us to help them find those other um, opportunities. But that, that's a great point. That's very important because they all were really. Yeah, I imagine that was a very difficult choice. I mean, the parameters obviously made it easy for some of these projects, but you know, you don't, you don't want to, you want to, the folks who got turned down, you want to be able to do something to, to, to help them out or else they wouldn't have been reaching out to start out with. So good. I would like to make a motion to adopt resolution 2211. Second. Motion second. Any discussion? All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay. Now do we have a letter to sign as well? So a motion to Excuse sign the letter. letter of support for the uh, $2.9 million grant to the Upper Shore Regional Council. Second. All right. Motion to second. Any discussion? All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? All right, five zero. That motion carries as Thank well. You job, Thank you, you for all of your work. Outstanding, huge, huge. Good task. work in a very short period of time. Great job. All right, commissioners. Okay, we are now ready for our new business for this evening. If you want to turn to uh, tab number two, we have uh, a couple of items for the Department of Public Works. There up first. Uh, so if you want to go to um, again tab number two. Item number one on page one is a public works agreement for the Bridgetown Development Sand and Gravel Mine uh, Major Extraction Operation. And this is essentially a, if you want to say, a host community agreement. They're going to provide um, uh, 12 cents per ton payment for all sand and gravel materials sold back to the Department of Public Works, County Roads Division for maintenance on county roadways that um, are on their haul routes. So that'll help us maintain that area. I move to execute the public works agreement with Bridgetown Development Company, LLC. Second. Motion to second. Any discussion? Uh, you're, you're saying 12 cents a ton? Is that what you said? 12 cents per ton payment, yes. Right. Uh, and this is a, what did I read? It was 40-year life cycle. So is there an, an accelerated clause in there? Or is it say 12 cents in 40 years from now? Uh, good evening, commissioners. Uh, that... 12 cents per ton is per ton period, whether it happens all in one year or over the course of 100 years. It's for the life of that phase three expansion. But that's my point is so in 40 years from now, if you're fixing the roads that are damaged by their trucks, are you gonna have enough money to do it on 12 cents a ton? We, we anticipate that we will. Uh, in looking at the lifespan that these mines have been taking think that their projections with regard to that use is is approximately correct uh, presently the assumptions that we had based on their assuming 40 some years uh, potentially for the life of the operation that 12 cent per ton number was developed with the idea that it accounts for inflation over time and present value and what's it going to cost to repair a road not only today but 30, 40 years from now, and that's a number that we all agreed that would be a, a reasonable number of a fair contribution that would provide a reliable funding source for decades ahead. 
I want to uh, cut in. I, I completely agree with you. Mm -hmm. 40 years from now? Are you yeah. joking? I mean, I, Do you I, have I, any I, idea of what 40 years means in inflationary terms? I don't, but I, back, to back that up, I don't think any of these mining places have made it more than 10 years total when they're mined out, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I can understand. I don't, it's not going to be here 40 years from now. That mine is not going to still be mining 40 years from now. Plus, is that 12 cents? They're already through two phases in less than three years, three and a half years, really. That's all that's been there. And is that, and is that, 12, is that, and is that 12 cents right now a, a, a high number? It is. It is. It is a high number. It's a number that right now is relatively significant. Obviously, it becomes less significant without an escalator over the years. One important thing to keep in mind that with other similar operations over the last several years where there have been a gravel operation, we've always recognized that when it comes to mines such as this, these are public roads. They're open for public use. As they go through the permitting process, it is recognized that the trucks and their hauling on the county roads, county roads in particular, which aren't always built up to a standard to handle that traffic, uh, really experience a disproportionate amount of distress as a result of this traffic. So historically, when these site plans come in for approval, we've required certain improvements to that county road. And we will target areas that we think are going to require beefing up or additional work. Sometimes we're right, sometimes we're not, but it's always been a one-time payment. And that's traditionally what we've done. And we will upgrade a portion of the road only to find that once that one-time payment is made, uh, years later, we have areas that are continuing to cause issues. And then it's on the taxpayer dollar to fix those. This approach, instead of taking a one-time sum, is we will have a regular revenue stream by which we can tap into that fund at our discretion. So the developer is going to be paying in annually, but the roads division can utilize its, distress, its discretion to pull from that fund as, as deemed appropriate. And that's the benefit of taking this approach. Uh, another problem, if we ask upfront for enough money that we think it's you know, arguably the... Well, I'm not asking yeah. to ask up front. I think, you're, it's, I think it's a good idea to take a, a payment a year. I mean, this works out to about $48,000 a year. I guess I'm 